when World War One, right before World War One started, there was a man named Sergeant Alvin York. Sergeant Alvin York, and and as Sergeant York was a kind of a well, before he was a sergeant, I'm sorry, there's a man named Alvin York. Before he was a sergeant, <laughs> he would go to bars, he would drink, he would fight, and he would actually go to bars looking to fist fight with people and the whole deal. And so he was kind of a troublemaker. And Jesus Christ got a hold of his heart. He became a Christian. After a little bit of time, he became an elder in his local church. And uh, World War I came on the scene, and he was drafted uh, into the United States Army. He, he was a conscientious objector, said, no, I took it a vow not to kill anybody, according to our, the particular denomination that he was a part of. They denied his uh, request uh, uh, for conscientious objection, made him go to boot camp. He went to boot camp and proved himself to be a phenomenal shooter because he was a hunter and, uh, uh, you know, kind of a hick from Kentucky, and, uh, but he could shoot like nobody's business. And they saw that and they realized he wasn't afraid. Uh, it wasn't for fear of, of losing his life, but rather he didn't want to take a life. And so there was an officer there who had discussions with him about the idea of a just war, that what was happening in the world warranted the involvement of the United States uh, in this co combat, in this situation. And so what the officer, it, it didn't persuade Sergeant York. So Sergeant, they told him, hey, look, why don't you go home, take a week off, take a week of leave, go see your family and spend some time seeking God and ask him what he thinks about it. And so he did, he, he took him up on that. And he went up on a mountain near his home for two days, go back up there and just spend time praying, seeking God. And he, he found this verse that the Lord brought to his attention as he was reading the Bible. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 through 21. And the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. So they sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You're impartial. You don't play favorites. Now tell us, what do you think about this? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. They handed him the Roman coin. He said, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, probably toss the coin back, I imagine. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Out of his prayer time, he had concluded that he was a citizen of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the nation that he lived in. And through that verse, he realized like taxes or any other civil duty, he's being asked to defend uh, a, a, a just cause from tyrannical takeover in the, in the uh, foreign theater of war. And so he went, he went to France and he fought. In fact, he fought in the battle that was the deciding battle for the war. And uh, I mean, there, there was multiple front lines in that thing, but it was that battle. And so uh, he went over there and they were under heavy duress and fire. Uh, he had a 17-man unit, seven, or uh, 10 of them were taken out immediately. There were seven left of his team. The machine gun fire, there were like 35 nests, and he said there were like 13 of them, he said, were raining down on us. It felt like bullets were flying around me everywhere. But he said every time one of those guys would have to move the nest, they'd have to stick their head up to see where they're going, those kind of machine guns back in that day. And so he said they'd pop their head up, he would, you know, take them out. He had... In that one particular battle, he had uh, 10 heads pop up, 10 shots, 10 kills. And, it, and, it, and he ended up single-handedly uh, in, in that whole war scene, I think he killed about 25 people. 
he took out 35 machine gun nests and captured 132 enemy soldiers by himself. They surrendered because they thought they were taking on something much larger and it was just a man with his God coming against them. He was a Medal of Honor recipient for bravery. Let me ask you a question. Because we all face these kinds of conflicts where our relationship with Jesus Christ and our conscience toward God come into conflict uh, with our conscience for the things we need to do as it relates to serving and living in a nation, being a citizen of another nation. I don't care if it's the United States or somewhere in Great Britain like England or you know, wherever you're at, South Korea, Christians have to deal with the reality that they live in two kingdoms and they have, they have uh, decisions they have to make. And so last week I talked to you about kingdoms in conflict, how there are values. The kingdom of Jesus is establishing a kingdom and it has values. And those values sometimes come in conflict with the kingdoms of this world. And our allegiance, last week we looked at, needs to be to Jesus the King. But now I want to talk to you today about our citizenship uh, here on earth as we follow Jesus. And, uh, you know, Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 9, he said, we make it our goal to please Christ, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, meaning in heaven with Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So put yourself in Sergeant York's position. He's an elder in a church. You know, he's going to stand before Jesus someday, and he wants to be well-pleasing to the Lord. And this is the inner conflict, and I want to invite you into that conflict yourself. I want to invite you to get in touch with, as you follow Christ, how do I live in this world? And then I want to invite you to make it your aim to be well-pleasing to him. And so I'll, today, here's what I want to do today. Here, here's the reality. We all have a conscience. That conscience speaks to us, and I want us to learn today how we might live with a good conscience, as the Apostle Paul put it, toward God. We want to live a life with faith and a good conscience toward God and toward man. That's all I want to do today. That's the big goal of the message today. And the, and the first thing I think we need to do to, to really do this right is we have to discover Christ's values. It starts with discovering Christ's values and confronting our own values. Does that make sense? And so, uh, you know, your conscience generally knows right and wrong. When I was, uh, I guess I was four or five, I remember I was living in Plano, Texas. I had this friend down the street. His name was Junior. He probably had some other name, but his dad called him Junior. So the rest of us called him Junior too, because we were all five years old. That's what his dad called him. So that was his name to us. Now, I think as far as that kid knew, that was his name as well. <laughs> but we would play out there. Now, Junior had this really cool red car. I mean, this car was really awesome, this toy. And I saw this, it was about this big. It was like a hot rod of sorts. And I, I saw this thing and I thought, uh, I, I didn't know what covetousness was, but I was experiencing it as a child. How many parents ever seen your kids covet something? They get this look in their eyes. You're like, no, buddy. Well, I had that look and no mommy around. You know what I'm saying? So I'm looking at this car and I just picked that car up and I just walk it right down to my house. It's my car now. Junior was gone. He, 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 he didn't know I took it. Well, Junior's looking for his car. He was, he, his, I think his mom even asked about it. My mom noticed this possession that I had and and, and my, the whole time when I picked the car up and I do it, something in my mind was telling me, you shouldn't take that. Listen, I can't even remember from five to like, say, 
you know, 15, I barely remember most, I moved a lot, so I barely remember my relationships. My conscience bothered me so bad, I remember where we were at, I remember what that kid's house looks like, I remember the car, I remember where I was kneeling down as a child, I remember what was in my head in the moment for the most part. That's hard to do, right? Why? My conscience was awakened. There was internal programming made by the, the, the manufacturer who put it into me from day one that I would know right and wrong. We just kind of know. And, and so I do, I shouldn't do that. Later, same, same season of life, I found this needle. Like, I don't know if it was my mom's was in the house. It was one of these kind of needles that goes like this and it curves back in and it's really long here. And you could get a real good grip on it. And, and I went around the neighborhood and I popped every bicycle tire I could find. <laughs> Not even joking. Dad, if you're watching on the service, I bet you remember this because he was my educator. So my conscience told me, this is wrong, right? This is wrong. But, but, but another part of me was saying, this is fun. <laughs> Isn't that what sin's like? There's a part of it that to us that calls out to us, this is gonna be fun. There's a, you know, the little angel, the little demon, you know? You know, go, go pop those tires. You know, it's gonna be fun. Don't do it. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and your conscience is like that internal little angel telling you don't do it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You know how I know you know that? Because you're alive, sucking air. And if you're breathing air, you've had this kind of experience in your life. You know what my dad made me do? He, he made me walk around and, and apologize to every household. I mean, see, back then neighbors actually talked to each other, you know, they come outside, like, yo man, what happened to our tires? And then dad noticed none of our tires are flat. <laughs> I think we found, I think it was my mom who figured she took me to my dad and, and I won't tell you the rest of the story, but anyway. It's not politically correct to talk about how dads uh, reinforce your conscience, but uh, it got reinforced. <laughs> but we could speed up the process of alignment of our relationship with God through the renewal of our mind. Romans uh, chapter 12, verse two says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's how you get transformed. Your thinking has to change if you're gonna become like Jesus, if you're gonna become a good follower and a citizen of his kingdom. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so here's a simple thought. I believe we could speed up learning kingdom values, that you already have something inside you, that when you take something outside of you, like the word of God, the scriptures, and you meditate on it and you think about it, that thing inside you says, yes, you ever been reading the Bible and something just seems to jump off the page to your current? That's, that's what's happening. There's, a, there's a, a witness, a connection between what the Holy Spirit's doing inside you and what you're reading outside of you. Does that make sense? And this will speed up your ability to live with a good conscience toward God. And God is always seeking to align us to his values as kingdom citizens. And so as you learn those values, you're gonna have to confront the pre-existing values that are in you. Which then leads to the next thing. Once you begin to learn those values, the second thing you need to do is you need to learn to live Christ's values and deny your own. Live Christ's values and deny your own. Because why? Because you're not always gonna feel like doing what Jesus wants you to do. Anybody heard somebody cut you off in the road and you didn't feel like what Jesus, doing what Jesus wanted you to do? I don't mean, I don't mean like they gently did. I'm talking like, and you're like, slam the brakes, you know, and you're like speaking in tongues, but you're not really speaking in tongues. You know what I mean? Like you're mad. And something inside you goes off and says, that's not right. You don't want to be that way. They deserve it. Yeah, but you don't want to be that way. Your mind 
You're my kingdom citizen. Do you know what nominal Christianity is? The word nominal means by name only. Now maybe when you were growing up, you were taught like maybe the 10 commandments. I wasn't so, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. But maybe you were taught one of the 10 commandments is you shall not take the name of the, your Lord God in vain. And we, we have a tendency, I was taught, you know, from other Christians I would meet in life as I was learning to curse um, fluently. They would say, hey, don't take God's name in vain. And they were referring, you know, you can think of the curse words I was saying to come up with that. I'm not gonna say those in church. I don't say those anymore anyway. So anyway, um, do I even have to say that? Anyway, uh, so I, so I, uh, I, we have been taught that taking God's name in vain is that kind of language, but it's actually not. Taking God's name in vain would be like when my wife and I, we, we got married and I, my last name is Nyman and her last name is Butterfield and we make a covenant together to, we're gonna do life together. We're gonna be married together. We're gonna have children together. And so we have our wedding vows and we make those vows and she becomes Lydia Nyman. She gets a new name. We're, we're married. But as she lives like we're not married, she's going out and having, you know, whatever, having fun on the town with all the guys around town. You would not think that she was serious. You would say that she has taken my name in vain. Does that make sense? And so that's what nominal Christianity is. And I had an experience one time where I was, I was, it was about, it was a Sunday morning at, uh, years and years ago, like, like probably 15 years ago. And I rolled out of bed as I do, and I would kneel by my bed to pray in the morning when I'd wake up. Well, I rolled out to do that, but at this time, while I rolled out, I had a picture in my mind, or maybe it was right before I rolled out, I had this picture in my mind of me bent over and bowing down with labels, like a big label on my back. And it would have all the titles in my life, like associate pastor. And then it's as if the label would peel up, like an invisible hand was pulling it up, and it would peel off. And the next one would be like, father, you know, like to my children. The next one would peel up, and husband, and that peeled up, and the last one was Christian. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, if I remove this label from you, how will I know who you are, and how will the world know who you are? What's happening in that moment? God's saying, I don't want, I wasn't personal because I felt like I was walking it out. As a pastor, I think he was trying to say, I don't like people carrying my name in vain. And so the cognitive dissonance in me was so bad after I became, so in the 90s, there was all these Christian concerts, kind of like creation. Creation was like the, amalgam, like, like the, like the uh, um, crescendo of different Christian concerts and somebody figured out we could do this all in like one weekend and we'll just blast them with bands. It's gonna be awesome. You know, Woodstock for Christians, yeah, you know. Well, back in the day, we didn't have that. But I had six flags over Texas in Arlington. I lived in Arlington, so I could get there. I had a season pass, and I would go out there, and they would have these Christian bands come in. And I got saved, so I was getting into it. And, like, they had, like, you know, like DC Talk when they were bad. Like, I saw them when they were bad. And then they got good. Jesus freak album and then and then I realized that Toby Mac knew what he was doing and he just started his own thing and I'm like you're brilliant you should have done that all along you know but that, we'd go to these concerts we have a good time and we would we had these worship festivals and they would sell paraphernalia there how many of you remember like uh, when I, there was a commercial back oh well this we're going to show our age here okay because I'm 50 so 50 and above you should remember this to some extent there'd be this tv commercial there'd be this frying pan sitting out there and it'd say and, or, or an egg sitting there and they'd say, this is your brain. And then they crack the egg and put it in the pan and they, this is your brain on drugs. Like you're frying your brain. Any questions? That's how the commercial went. <laughs> so in the 90s, in the 90s, right, Christians decide we need some witnessing paraphernalia. So they make these t-shirts and they have this brain and like, here's your brain. And then the lower part of the t-shirt would have this brain on fire. This is your brain in hell. Any questions? And you're like, well, 
that's going to win some friends and influence people. It's like, uh, oh, I won't do it. I'm going to do it. I can't help. It's, it's like driving around town here, you know, in the in uh, Lancaster, Lebanon County, and I'll drive by some of these houses and like, prepare to meet thy God. And you're like, <laughs> you know, I'm scared, but I don't want to have a conversation with you about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I bought a, a bumper sticker there and on the back of the bumper sticker, I put it on the back of my car and it said, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now here's the cognitive dissonance in my brain. I would put that bumper sticker on all righteous as I thought it was. I would drive down the road. I'd be smoking my cigarettes. I'd roll down my window. I'd throw that butt out there. You know, it's bouncing across, probably sparking nicely in the night, you know. <clears throat> and, and I would throw trash out. I would litter. I mean, I would do whatever. Now, my conscience told me you probably shouldn't do that. But I'm like, yeah, you know, not a big deal. Because we, we can, as we begin to live in this we could do to our conscience what we do, like we put our fingers in our proverbial conscious ears, we're going, la, 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 I don't hear you, conscience. Meanwhile, <clears throat> the world's watching me throw my stuff out with this call to them, if you were on trial for being a Christian. I just, I just, I didn't, I did have, my whole paradigm is radically different <laughs> than it is today. But uh, I believe that sinning is the practice of overriding your conscience when it's telling you that what you're doing is wrong. But here's the thing, no matter what, your conscience is going to put you on trial, right? When I was living a sexually immoral lifestyle and a party lifestyle, I could override my conscience to enjoy all that little sin for a season, but then I would go home and lay down. I'd be like, I, I, I would lay down on my bed, you know, I'd be like, Phew. it's like my conscience would lay down right next to me. Phew. We need to have a talk. La, 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 I don't hear you. I know you hear me, I'm inside your brain. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's not in the moment. We can, we can, we can deafen our conscience in the moment. I'm, I'm calling us, and I believe the Lord is calling us to not be nominal Christians, to begin to give into our conscience. And, and I've had people, you know, uh, tell me they don't want to read the Bible because they don't want to be accountable to its contents. I thought that. And, and there was a point in my life I thought, people say, you need to read the Bible. But though I read this verse that says, you know, to whom much is given, much is required, and to him who knows, you know, and I, so that means if I know more, I, more is required of me, so I got a solution, I just won't know anything. Then I'll be beaten with few stripes, it says. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I don't read the Bible. You might want to read the Bible. So anyway, but, but here's the funny thing about it. Romans chapter two, verse 14 through 16, here's what the apostle Paul says, even Gentiles, so people who don't know God, people not in covenant with God, who do not have God's written law. So they don't have a written law. I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't have a, a written code. It says, but they, even though they don't have it, they show that they know his law where they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. And they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and their thoughts. They'll either accuse them or telling them they're doing it right. They're doing life right. And this is the message I proclaim that the day is coming when God through Christ Jesus will judge everyone's Secret life. How many of you want God to judge your secret life? You just can't wait. I'm not excited about that day. And Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit. So not only does your conscience put you on trial, but the world puts you on trial. You're a kingdom citizen seeking to bring the kingdom of God to earth. People are watching you. When Christians, during this time of of kind of social unrest at every level. 
act like the world in their approach. You should never expect people who are not in covenant with God, who do not have the Holy Spirit, to act like people who have the Holy Spirit. But I expect people who claim to be Christian, who have the Holy Spirit, to have godly restraint in the form of conversation. You know, the Bible says the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting people who are in opposition that God perhaps would grant them repentance. It's God who grants the change of mind. What power tool does he use to do it? His servants, how? When they do not quarrel, are gentle to all, when they're able to teach and have humility as they correct people. That's just attractive. That's just interesting. You're different than the other Christians. We hear that all the time. And it's not that we're better, it's that we're trying to give in to the Holy Spirit's love for a lost world that God sent Jesus Christ to die for. And we make the big issue about some smaller issue that's ultimately gonna get solved when Jesus comes anyway, and we miss the bigger issue that they are perishing apart from God forever. And that becomes the bigger issue. And so God invites us to gentleness, humility. Yeah, we want truth but not at the expense of love. And I don't want love at the expense of truth. We're called to speak the truth in love. Make sense? You know that uh, Joanna and I had a discussion about last week's message in this one. She brought up, she reminded me, you know, when the early church um, was founded and Jesus had died, he had gone, they, they killed Jesus, but people were still getting saved. And they're, so they're starting to ask questions. What's going on here? Even the, even the Roman leaders were asking, why do we still have all this unrest? I thought we killed your problem. Oh no, you didn't kill. I think we just multiplied our problem. Why? He said, there's these Christians. You know what Christian means? It means little Christ. It doesn't mean little saviors. It means they are, they're the people that are in this citizenship called the kingdom of God are trying to be like this Jesus guy. They're being, doing good to all, healing all who are oppressed of the devil, just like he did. They're bringing the kingdom, and they didn't want that. These Christians were little Christ. <clears throat> and I feel like we need to acknowledge where we're at in our pursuit. And if you get honest, for some people, we align with other things in this world. You know, some of you, again, know more about your political parties and the things that are going on in the world Netflix TV shows, things like that, then you do Jesus Christ. That's called nominal Christianity. You don't want to wear a label that says Christian. You don't want to take God's name in vain, right? No, I want to know him. Okay, I do too. And what needs to happen then is as we, as we walk out life with the world and they see who we are in our interactions, I have strong opinions about everything that's going on politically. Today. How many know Jimmy Diamond has strong opinions about a lot of stuff? <laughs> you have no idea how much godly restraint it takes to keep my mouth shut sometimes. He said, no, no, we, we believe you, Jimmy, because you can't seem to do that very well. My neighbor, I have a neighbor um, who lives across the street, and he has his Biden-Harris sign out in his yard. And I, I saw him, he was standing outside. We've had many good conversations. There was a situation recently where a family member lost a baby and all that. And, you know, he was there on my porch crying and having, you know, and just having discussions. And okay, so I was driving, we, we have a friendship and I drove by. I said, Juan, tell me, tell me about your, um, you know, your heart. I'm curious about what's motivating you to vote, you know, for Biden-Harris. What's, what's in your mind? 
Now, here's the thing. Most of us assume when we start a discussion like that with somebody, we know why. And I could do that just as well with a Trump. What is it about Trump and Pence as, as you vote for them? What is it that's in your heart? And learning to ask the questions from the angle of I want to understand it. So he told me where he was at. And he said, you know, I'm from Puerto Rico and uh, you know, I'm a Latino man. And in my culture, we, we really have high value for respect. And the current president has none of that. He respects no one. And he said, in our culture, that's a, that's a great, uh, you know, basically you're dissing us, you know, we, we just don't like that. that. That's a driving factor. I know that could seem shallow, but for that guy, it's not, because it's a cultural thing for his family and where he's from. And I told him, and I said, well, he said, he said what about you? And I said, I don't know, man, this, the thing with abortion is a big deal to me. You know, I, I believe life of the womb is life, and I'll explain that here in a minute where I'm at on that. And, and, uh, but we walked through that process, but what I didn't do is get loud. I stayed in the tone you're hearing me right now. I pulled off. And you know what's going to happen after this election? Juan and I are still going to be friends. You know, because Juan, I don't know where he's at. I mean, I do kind of know where he's at. I don't think he's walking with Jesus. But, but he has, he's had religion and things in the past. And he's not going to come to Jesus in the way that I think, what I think that means if I am always trying to take him on and trying to prove my point and all that. And we, I talked last week about Joanna having these great social online experiments with people where she's de-escalating things and winning their heart. Now, once their heart's won, they're actually more interested in hearing what you have to say. And listen, listen, hear what, I, hear what I'm saying. What are you talking about? Are you getting issues? No, I'm talking about bringing the kingdom. Bringing the kingdom. Which leads to the third thing. As, as, as kingdom citizens and as a citizen of the United States, we get the opportunity, and some maybe even call it a duty, to vote. And so that leads to the third idea is we want to vote Christ's values and not our own. Vote Christ's values and not our own. So if you're new to voting, let's say you just turned 18 or, you're going to, or maybe you're going to turn 18 before the election and you want to vote and you've registered to vote, but you hear people use expressions like candidates and platforms and you don't know what all that means. I'm going to, I'm going to break it down like, like, like purple dinosaur Barney style here for you, okay? I'm showing my age again, right? Um, so a, plat- a platform is simply the issues the political parties hope to address if they get elected. Here's the problems we're going to solve. Here's how we're going to make life better. The candidates, of course, are the people um, who think they're going to pull that off. And so as a voter, what you're trying to consider is, are they actually capable of doing that? Do I believe that person is capable of doing that? Now, for me, I have a tendency to vote more for platform than I do people. Because of, because of values. I, I, I see the values in the platform. And so um, then, of course, you get down to voting. For the Christian, then, here's what voting should look like for the Christian. We're bringing what we know of Christ's kingdom, our conscience toward God, our citizenship of both kingdoms to bear upon our vote if we do it right. Did you hear what I was saying there? So as, as, uh, for the Christian, we bring what we know of Christ's kingdom, our conscience in it. What can I vote for and my conscience is gonna feel good on the day I stand before Jesus Christ, all right? So that's what I mean by denying your own because there may be a value that, that, that conflicts with another value and I'll, and I'll get there in a second, but that's, the, that's the, the bottom line. And then that's how I bring my, the kingdom citizenship. Let your kingdom come, Jesus said. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're living with this inner prayer that says, I want the kingdom of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our mission. And so we do that through making disciples. But this is an opportunity for you to participate where you get to vote. And so 
what happens is, let's go back to my uh, picture from last week. So if you have a, a left issue, and this is Democrats, left, whatever, Green Party, whatever you want to put over here, Republicans, other conservative parties, libertarians somewhere here, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and we can get the mindset, depending upon which side of that political spectrum you're on, it's move, trying to move these people. Boy, if I could just disciple the nations, they would move from here to here or here to here. Are you following me? And last week we looked at, no, if we do it right, we're bringing them from here or here to here, to Jesus the King, right? To the kingdom of God. That's, that's the end goal. So let's say you go into a, a, a voting, uh, you, you look at a platform the first thing I do when I go to look at the platform is I'm trying to see what does the Bible actually clearly spoken about and then where are there just debatable things that the world's debating? Do you follow me? And so if it's something that the world's debating, the Bible hasn't spoken on it, then you want to go, God, Holy Spirit, what, how do you want me to vote on this? And, and, and the problem is so many Christians don't take, they, they take an issue seriously, but they don't actually look at the whole thing and really walk through the process. And I don't think you get how important you are to God's purpose as we live in this nation, okay? If you were in China where you, you know, maybe your votes are rigged or you don't get to vote at all or you know, uh, Venezuela or something like that, I mean, okay, I get it. You're gonna, be, you're gonna be like the Chinese Christians. You're gonna be persecuted and you're gonna still be filled with the joy of the Lord. Why? Because you're in an unshakable kingdom that cannot be shaken. So, so but we get to vote. And so we get this opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, what would you like me to do? How would you like me to vote? How can I make a difference with my little part here. And here's the thing, you don't need to worry about everybody else's vote. You need, you need to focus on your obedience to the Lord and do what you believe the Lord is telling you to do. So when it's debatable, you get all, do your research, get an informed preference and vote. That would be things like climate change. Okay, the Bible doesn't address climate change. So you're gonna have to make an informed decision. And right now, both the parties disagree on that. Poverty relief. Well, I think a lot of people, I think both parties agree that there should be some kind of poverty relief, but they disagree on the methodology. So you're going to have to make an informed decision. The Bible doesn't address exactly how to manage poverty relief. Should you do it through government? Should you do it through the church? Should you do it through some other vehicle? Those are the kind of questions that are being asked. Healthcare. Both sides care about healthcare. I know um, when President Obama was in and he established Obamacare and, you know, it was a, a real win for uh, the left and for uh, social medicine and those kind of things. And then you get, you know, uh, President Trump comes in and now the left's concerned about, or the left's concerned about him doing, messing all that up now as if they don't care. They both sides care. They just have different ideas on how it should get done. So again, a debatable thing. Racism. I think, I think both sides agree. Well, back for this one, I think on both sides, you're going to find disagreement even within their parties about what's happening and what needs to happen. Okay, let me, can I say something to you on that? Welcome to life on this planet where you have humans with a lot of perspectives and that's the beauty of our, the privilege of getting to vote and to seek the Lord and say, I want to vote your values in this, in this election. But there are, there are, sometimes there's other values like, like I brought up with Juan, like, like the issue of abortion. I don't think that's a debatable thing. I know some of you will think so. But let me help you think that through for a minute. There's a strange, you know, like legal precedent in, in, um, in like case law and legal fields and stuff. They'll, you'll get these weird like case studies. And one of those things is in the Bible, there's a story about if two men are fighting, it's in the law, it's in the Old Testament. If two men are fighting 
and that one strikes another man, and he accidentally strikes a pregnant lady standing by, and she miscarries. You will render, listen to this, uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, meaning if that child dies and she miscarries, it doesn't live outside the womb, then that guy will be executed. Whoa, that's heavy duty. John the Baptist, the Bible tells us of John the Baptist, he was filled with the spirit in his mother's womb. You can't fill a fetus with the spirit. You fill a person with the spirit. And then there's just kind of national cognitive dissonance. It goes something like this. If the mom wanted to keep the baby, then it was a baby. But if she wants to abort it, it's a fetus. Does that make any sense to anybody? Okay. Now, I know some of you think I am dogging on, because people, I've, I've saw it online. Why do Christians just pick on this one sin and other ones? Friends, if you're shacked up, living together, having a sexual relationship, it's sin. You know, if you're embezzling money, it's sin. If you're living as a drunk, wasting your, your life on alcohol, hurting your family and those kind of things, it's sin, okay? But this is something that's actually something that we are dealing with and voting for. Do you follow? And so I don't think, I really don't think, I don't sit there going one sin's worse than another, but I think sin matters. Do you understand? Sin is a reproach to a people, the Bible says. Sin can bring judgment on a nation. And the Bible says, if you go to Proverbs, it says, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. I, could, I, I just read some interesting other perspectives because I'm always trying to learn from a different perspective than my own. For me, if both parties, so let's, let's do this differently. What if both parties were both against against it. Well, first of all, it'd probably already be solved. It wouldn't be on the docket at all, but, uh, but let's pretend like it is that. Well, then it opens up a whole new thing because if everything's debatable and there's nothing biblical I'm dealing with, that's a whole different angle of seeking God, trying to understand where he wants my vote. Do you follow me? I pulled up the, uh, uh, interesting, I pulled up the uh, uh, platform of Republican and Democratic parties from 1940. You can do this Google search online. And back then, when they wrote their platforms out, like like a preamble, like, you know, they had their introduction, they tried to connect their thoughts to the Constitution, then they laid it out, and it was kind of amazing. But what's interesting to me is because they both sounded really good to me. Like, I was like, ooh, mm, I don't know, this, I like what they're saying here. I was trying to get in a different generation that isn't so polarized like we are. And it wasn't always like this, okay? That, that, that's what I'm trying to help you understand. And it gives us perspective. But, but here's, here, let me help you understand this thing in, in this, is that I, I want you to know about your conscience and about sin, that Jesus Christ died for all of it. He died to forgive you, and I don't care what the sin is. So we'll start with abortion. We'll, start with, we'll, we'll talk about you shacking up and having a sexual relationship, not caring about covenant and doing it the way God wants you to do. We'll talk about you know, uh, living a drunkard and wasting All of it can be forgiven because you can get into a new kingdom. You can come out of the old into the new. Let me tell you a true story about us so you don't think I'm such a jerk on this abortion issue. When I was 18 years old, my brother was 17. He had a girlfriend. She got pregnant in their relationship. Uh, we all agreed together. Dad and mom should never, ever find out about this. At this point, uh, my parents were divorced, so it was just kind of tumultuous in our family anyway, so we didn't want to bring anything up to kind of rock the, the weird apple cart that we were in at that time. So we decided we were going to keep that from them. And there was a lady, uh, my parents' age, who, who uh, offered to take Mike's girlfriend to Planned Parenthood and get the baby aborted. I was, I was 100% supporting that decision, okay? They did. My dad found out. I found out from, I don't remember, I forget which family member told me. Well, my dad found out. He was grieved. 
Because eventually, of course, you do find out. And so he was grieved. And he said, you know, we would have helped raise this child. Now, my dad wasn't even a, he was starting to go to church some, but he, it wasn't like, I don't think he was, his conscience was informed by that. I think something inside him knew. Here's the crazier thing. My brother Mike, later that year, would have a car accident by where he would be paralyzed. And he is to this day. Several years after that accident, my brother said to me, I think, because my mom had gotten saved after uh, my parents' divorce, and so we were learning, we were getting some God consciousness through the things she would tell us. And he said, I think God allowed this to happen to me because of the abortion. And I assured him, no way, no way. Jesus died for our sins. I don't care if you've had an abortion. I don't care if you murdered somebody, you can be forgiven. Now listen, there will be consequences in this life. Here's what I know. When I was living a party lifestyle and I asked Jesus to be Lord of my life, I felt like a bazillion pounds of weight come off of me. You may not even know you're carrying it until it comes off. I said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I am a mess. And when I asked Jesus to be Lord of my life, it just felt like a thousand pounds came off. But let me tell you what didn't come off. Regret. I know I'm forgiven. I feel love, but I have a lot of regret. Sergeant York, who was a Christian, who did that, believing that after killing those people, they say later in his life, he had regret. Something in us knows we aren't meant to hurt people that are made in the image of God. We just don't want to do it naturally. Are you following me? And, and here's what I'm looking forward to. The Bible tells us there's a day in heaven after we get there, after we go through the judgment part, after we cry our guts out, he says he will wipe every tear from our eye. Come on, think that through for a minute. All that pain, it's not, the tears represent the regret inside your heart. He's gonna wipe it away. But he needs to start that process. You gotta become a part of the kingdom. And some people, they go to church their whole life. And they think because of going to church, they're a Christian. Christian is like the marriage covenant. Like I'm standing before my bride-to-be and saying, I, 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 wanna, I, wanna follow, I want us to do our life together forever. If it's Jesus, I wanna follow you forever. The Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ and we take on his name in the same way like making a covenant. You follow me? And so it's, guys don't get bent out of shape of that. It's not sexual, it's spiritual. And the two become one. And the Bible says he is joined to the Lord as one spirit with him. And that's what he wants to do today. And that's why you make bad choices. And that's why you get frustrated. And that's why you think the whole world's coming to an end. And that's why you can't control all that garbage going on the inside because you need the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. And he wants to set you free today. He wants to bring you into covenant today. Would you stand to your feet? bow your head and close your eyes. Let's do some business with God privately. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I, I feel that regret and I feel the weight of my sin. I feel the separation from God. I feel the spirit of the age and the world around me. And I, I don't know God like you're talking about. And I want that weight to come off. And I want the freedom that Jesus brings. I want Jesus to be leading my life and I want to learn to walk in the ways of the kingdom. I want to be a citizen of that kingdom. And I want to make that covenant with Jesus today. If that's you, would you please raise your hand high and let me pray for you. I see you. Come on, don't be bold. I'm not going to embarrass you. So that's raising your hands as far as it's going. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, put your hands down. 
If you're here today and you say, man, I know Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, but man, I, I, I took a detour somewhere and I've got a lot of regret and I've got, a, I, I don't like where I'm at and I want a fresh start with God. I want to get back under the sacrifice of Christ and the forgiveness of God. And I want to know the nearness of that in my heart. And I want to start again. If that's you today, would you raise your hand high? Yeah, all over the room. Yep, 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 yep. Heaven, you know, put your hands down. You know, when we raise our hand, heaven, it's a way of just outwardly acknowledging what's happening in the heart. Would y'all, would y'all join me in prayer and pray something like this? Because I, I know even myself, man, I'm in a season of wanting fresh surrender to God in my own life. And I'm the pastor. It happens to me too. I need it too. Pray something like this. Say, God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I have a lot of regret. And I'm asking you to roll that away. I surrender my life to the leadership of Jesus Christ. I covenant today and say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. And I'm asking you to lead me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Enable me to represent you well as a member of the household of God. I call you Father, and you call me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God thanks for those people today that said yes to Jesus.